I'll just keep look like I'm getting ready here. I'll just keep pretending that I'm getting ready until I get the thumbs up from Daniel. Thumbs up. Here we go. All right. Genesis 37. Genesis chapter 37. We're going to continue on with our study of Joseph makes me think of Jesus. Last week, James did a great introduction, giving us the background history of Joseph and his father Jacob and his wonderful family history and uh, environment that he grew up in. Uh, it was not the greatest amount. We're going to draw into that a little bit again today. Uh, but we're going to do some reading first, and then we'll open a prayer and, and, and dive into this section here, okay? Genesis 37. Jacob lived in a land where his father had stayed in the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. When his sons of Bilpah and his sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him at an old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while the sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother, his brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Then he had another dream, and he had told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and at this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept this matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing their flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with their flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron, from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I am looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They had moved on from there. And the man answered him, I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But when they saw him in a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Let's open a word of prayer. Lord God, our Father, we acknowledge this morning that before you, we are an unholy people, we are sinners. And now without your Son and His righteous sacrifice, we are on our way to hell. 
But we thank you for the wonderful gift that you gave us. The gospel, the good news of your Son, that by believing in his name, our sins are forgiven. And there's nothing more that we need to do. And we receive eternal life in his name. Lord, we look forward to the day where we will be with him face to face. What an exciting day that will be to be able to say thank you in person. Lord, as we look into your word right now, I pray that you would reveal something special to us about your son. For your son is the most special person in all the world. I pray that you would give me clarity of speech, clarity of thought, and that your Holy Spirit would do a mighty work this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So there's five things we want to look at this morning, if time permits. We want to look at how he was appointed, Joseph was appointed heir of the family. We want to look at how he was hated without a cause, how he was sent by his father, how he was out seeking the lost, and how his family did not welcome him. That those he was looking for did not welcome him. So there's five points that we want to look at this morning, and how those five points remind us of Jesus. Now, we do have to be careful that when we're reading Scripture and we're looking for points in the Bible, oh man, how many points of Joseph can we pull out of the Scripture that we don't, like, force it, okay? There are a lot of times that, man, I want to find 15 points, so I have 15 exact points. We've got to be careful that we don't force the points to fit when they don't fit, okay? So we, we want to be careful that this morning. So some of these might be a little thin, but some of them are, are, are really solid. So let's do that this morning, Okay. Now, the story of Joseph, one of our favorite stories. We, we grew up in Sunday school here in this one. We watched the movies of this one. We go see the plays on this one. Love it. Full of action, full of drama. I'm glad it's not my life. But I'm very grateful that Joseph did a great example of living it out. Now, Joseph's family. Where was Joseph born in the lineage of his family? We, we know clearly, right, that his father Jacob, renamed Israel, had two wives, right? He had Leah, the wife that he got first that he didn't really want. And then he got the wife that he loved, Rachel, the one that he really wanted. He worked 14 years for her. And Leah had multiple children before Rachel, before Rachel could. She couldn't have children very easily. So Leah had sons and sons and sons. And Rachel couldn't. And they started competing against each other. So Rachel actually took her workers her maid servants under her and gave her to her husband to have kids on her behalf it was just a mess right and the two women are going back and forth back and forth fighting to who can have the most sons well leah had more leah had the first one that would be called the first born right who was the firstborn? reuben reuben is the firstborn now in jewish history if you are the firstborn there's some privileges coming your way right you are going to get the firstborn blessings. You are going to get the greatest inheritance. You're going to get a double portion in your inheritance. So Reuben had all this coming to him. Joseph was not first in line to receive this, but Joseph is the one who received it. Why is that? Well, interesting. Uh, Reuben, in his life, made some poor choices. Uh, he was the firstborn. He was the strongest one of the family, you know, in, in, in headship uh, under his father. He, uh, he slept with his, his father's wife, with his father's concubine. 
he made a bad choice. So in doing so, his dad took away his privileges of receiving the birthrights, of receiving the inheritance. And it went from the firstborn son of Leah to now, who's next in line? I'm not looking at Leah's boys anymore. Let's jump over to my favorite wife. Who's the firstborn of that wife? Now, not just the firstborn of the concubines and and people under her, but herself. Who did she give birth to? Joseph. So even though he wasn't the first son in the family, or the second son in the family, he was the first biological son to Rachel. So all the blessings of the firstborn fell upon him. Daniel, would you mind putting the first picture up on the board? I want to show you how this plays out real quick, down the road. When... You know, we know Joseph goes on to Egypt, right? Then his family comes to Egypt. Awesome time. Then it turns into a not-so-good time because they go into slavery for 400 years, right? Then God delivers them out of Egypt. Then they wander the desert for 40 years. Eventually, they land up into the promised land. And the land gets divided up, right? And it gets divided up amongst the how many tribes? Well, 12 tribes because there are 12 sons of Jacob, Correct. All right, find Joseph's name up there. You don't see it, right? Joseph's one of the sons. Why is his name not up there? Interesting. Well, if you count the number of tribes, there are 12. Wait a minute, Joseph's name's missing. There's also another name missing up there. Levi's not up there either. Wait a minute. So there's 12 plots of land. Two names are now missing. Joseph and Levi are both missing. What's going on here? Well, what happens is when Joseph goes to, sorry, when Jacob is about to die, he has already been reunited with his father. Jacob and Joseph have already been reunited. They've moved into Egypt, all right, to get away from the um, the famine. <laughs> sorry, couldn't think of the word. To get away from the famine. And Jacob takes Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and pulls them aside and says, hey, the blessing of the firstborn that was supposed to go to Joseph, I'm going to give to you. Joseph is going to receive a double portion in his line, double portion of inheritance, because he is now the firstborn. So Joseph's birthright in lineage and blessings of the tribes of how much land they received joseph's two sons ephraim and manasseh received a total of a double portion more than everyone else look at look at manasseh see all the yellow up there it's massive massive it all went to there instead of reuben interesting how that played out reuben's poor decision making had consequences for generations down the road Life lesson for us. What decisions are we making that might have generational effects? Now, how does this play out with our Savior? Well, we know... Thanks, Daniel. You can turn it off now. We know that very clearly in the New Testament, we see many times, Jesus Christ is the firstborn. Well, when we're talking about the firstborn, when you read the word firstborn in the Bible, we got to be careful. Because there's actually two ways that it could be interpreted 
Okay? And it all could have multiple meanings. Like Joseph, the firstborn in the family, there's multiple things that come to that person, right? One, we just talked about, there's the inheritance blessings, right? You get a double portion of everyone else because you're the first son. You get double of everyone else. But also, in the large families, you become the tribal leader. Reuben should have been the tribal leader. After his father passed away, Reuben should have been in charge of the entire family. See, when Jacob moved, everybody went with him. What Jacob said, everybody did. When it passed down to Reuben, it should have been him in charge. Instead, that passed on to Joseph. So not only when you are the firstborn do you get a double portion of inheritance, you also become the leader of the family. Romans 8.29 For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. See, Jesus Christ is the firstborn in that he has an inheritance coming to him. What is the inheritance that Jesus Christ is going to receive? It's us. He is the firstborn over all the believers, all the Christians. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? One, in obeying his Father, and two, redeeming us. He is receiving the inheritance of us. Hebrews 1, we read this morning. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in his last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had made perfect, um, made after he had made purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. Everything that exists, whether seen or unseen, angels or demons, everything now falls under his control. He has the right to do with whatever he wants in the universe. It's all his. And one day his enemies will be made a footstool for him. He is sitting at the right hand of God. And he has all authority to make decisions, all authority to judge. He has received the inheritance of the universe. And that's us included. So we see that Jesus is firstborn in that he's received the inheritance like Joseph did, double portion. And he's also the, well, he's the tribal leader. He is the head of the church. Colossians 1.8, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that he himself will come, sorry, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. God has given him a name a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that He is Lord. Everything in all creation will acknowledge one day that He is the most supreme leader, the most supreme God. There is no one higher than Him. 
So when you think of the word firstborn, think of those two things. He's got all the inheritance. He's got all the power. He's got all the authority now, all the rights to judge, all the rights to rule, and he has all the rights to lead now too. Now, when Joseph was growing up, and all the time up until his very in his journey to Africa, not Egypt, uh, what was his relationship like with his brothers? I mean, we read three times his brothers hated him, hated him all the more. <laughs> every inter- in- every interaction we have with him, and his brothers does not look like a good one, right? I mean, he's growing up, and he is obviously clearly. Favored, favored by his father. Was Joseph ever hated with good cause? Did he ever do anything that said, yep, yep, that, that gave his brothers good reason to hate him? Now, some might say that, well, when he told his brothers to dream, maybe he should have kept that to himself. You know, Ah, uh, Joseph, maybe he didn't say it at the right time. Maybe it wasn't with the right tone of voice. Well, we can't really read into that. Did he do anything wrong in sharing his dream with his family? I, I can't say that he sinned in doing that. I can't say he did anything wrong. I, I, I could clearly see how that was taken by his family in not such a loving way. Because that, that would frustrate me too. I, I get that. Okay? But he did nothing wrong in doing it. I mean, when we think of Jesus, oh man, um, I had this thought, I really wanted to share it. When Jesus came down and he shared with the leaders of the time, you know, destroy this temple and three days later I'll build it up again. What was their reaction to that? <laughs> Are you crazy? Are you insane? Do you really think that if we... If we knock this temple over, you're going to rebuild that entire thing in three days? No way. They hated him for that. They thought he was crazy. He was nuts. They didn't take it well. A very similar reaction there. His brothers and family did not take it well at all. But I do not read anything in here where Joseph did anything wrong to have his brothers hate him so much. So what caused his brothers to hate him so much? I think it's his dad's fault. Honestly, I think it's, well, it's just sin, period. But his dad did a very poor job developing a loving, nurturing environment in his home. Uh, it's very clearly, it said, uh, since he was a young man, Jacob loved him more than all the others. Do you think the brothers noticed that? Yeah, yeah, I think it was pretty evident. Man, Dad is giving Joseph, let's see, let's see. He's giving him very rich and expensive gifts. I didn't get no expensive gifts. He's giving Joseph different chores, different jobs. Because where are all the brothers working? All the brothers are working in the fields. Where's Joseph? He's 17. Is he very capable at 17 years old to go work the fields? Yes, he is. Where's Joseph? He's at home. Um, Joseph, sorry, Jacob and Joseph have a different interaction and conversation and intimacy that the brothers and dad don't have. 
it doesn't, dad doesn't react the same way when he's around Joseph as he does with his brothers. He has different responsibilities. Everything about Joseph's life is different than his brothers. He's set apart. Is that fair? Not really. It's not really fair at all. Uh, now, unfortunately, I think that that was a learned behavior. Right? Jacob, well, if you go to his family, when he was a kid, there was definitely some serious favoritism being played, right? Because you have Jacob and Esau. They get along well. Well, Jacob's father loved Esau, and Jacob's mother loved him. There was definitely a division in that family of which parent loved which child more than the other. That's not okay. Because look what it did in their family. It messed up. And that, trans, that, that transferred down. That learned behavior transferred to this family. Where Jacob clearly and evidently loved one kid more than all the others. That's like parenting one-on-one. Don't, don't do that, right? I mean, it's natural. My kids are not in a room. It is natural to see your kids differently, right? They all have different characteristics. And there might be times where there's certain characters in nurse children that you bond to with more because you have more in common. You just naturally get along more with that child. Does that mean that you're allowed to show that child favoritism over all the others? No. Does that mean you should spend more time with that child than all the others? No. That's a bad parenting design. You can't do that. And you know what? That plays more than just parenting. If you are an employer, or you're a manager, or you're a Sunday school teacher, or you are at all in any way, shape, or form in charge of and have people under you, it's a very good business 101 leadership skill that you need to be careful of. I have seen this go wrong in my... I'd be very careful because this is going online. I've seen it in workplaces that I have been in where the administration shows favoritism to different employees. Whereas in one teacher does this, and then another teacher does the exact same thing, but the consequences are extremely different for these two different individuals. There's just, it's not about, there's no equality here. It's not about, oh, it's equity. It's, no, it's not about equity. One person gets a little slap on the wrist. Hey, probably shouldn't do that again, quietly in the, in the office. And the other one gets reprimanded in front of the whole public, you know, all, all the teacher audience, and then gets, you know, it gets reprimanded in front of everyone else. There's very different ways that people in the workforce, just my small experience in the workforce, that people get treated by others in leadership. That breeds a lot of bad feelings in the workplace. You can't do that stuff if you want to be a good leader. Parents, you cannot show favoritism to children at all. Sunday school teachers, you can't show favoritism to one kid in the class more than all the others because the others are going to grow to hate you for it. Look at what happened in this family. The brothers grew up hating him. Oh my goodness, we're already at 25 after. Well, who's on next week? <laughs> they might have to pick up for me. You, you can't do that stuff. Jacob's lifestyle and the way that he bred a, a, his home environment was like a catalyst for jealousy. He encouraged that by the way he treated his son. 
So I think the reason why his brothers hated him so much is because of the way the dad treated him. When Jesus came to this world, was he hated for any reason? I mean, I, I think certainly, at times, righteously so, Jesus rubbed people the wrong way, right? Because he went to the Pharisees and he told them straight up how it was. You, you serpents, you're your snakes, right? I, I'm sure that rubbed them the wrong way. Was he wrong in doing that, though? No, he was 100% righteous. He was telling them the truth. People don't want to hear the truth. Why is that? Why is it that when Jesus came, he's healing people, helping people restore their lives just physically, that the world hated him so much that they wanted to kill him? His own family, Jesus' own family in, in Mark chapter 3, call him out publicly, publicly and say that he's deranged and he's out of his mind. That must have been hard for Jesus to take from his own family. I think this is what it came down to. And especially we know for Jesus, right? That his lifestyle, his righteous living exposed their unrighteous living. It exposed their sin, didn't it? Joseph never did anything wrong. From what we read, right? Obviously he was a sinner, right? Obviously he made mistakes growing up, clearly. But when he returned home and gave a bad report to his father about what his brothers were doing, was he wrong in doing that? No, his father asked him to go send out a report. Report back to me. And his son and Joseph did not lie. He told his father what was going on. Jesus, we know, says this, John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, yes, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen so that the works have been carried out by God. I think Joseph's more righteous lifestyle made his brothers jealous. Just like Jesus' righteous lifestyle. He did nothing wrong. It exposed all the hypocrisy amongst the leaders of the time. It exposed how flawed they were to the eyes of all the peoples. Ephesians 5, I've got to turn there and read this. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, 8, we're going to leave for a bit. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children as light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with what fruitless deeds are of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible for that light makes everything visible this is why it is said wake up O sleeper rise from the dead and christ will shine on you be very careful then how you live not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil therefore do not be foolish but understand what the lord's will is 
You see, we are to live a life in such a way that we reflect the light of God, the light of Jesus Christ into this world, that it exposes people's sin. If you are truly living as a beaming Christian, people will hate you for it. Because your righteous lifestyle will expose their sins, their lies, brightly to the whole world. It illuminates the darkness and it shows them how bad they really are. And that has nothing to do with your words necessarily. And you calling them out for that. It's just your lifestyle. Now, there are people in my school who do not want to come near me because I don't want to talk about what they talk about. I don't want to you know, enjoy the same things that they enjoy. And I think it makes them feel guilty at times. You should have that effect on the world. Our daily walk should present light and truth and righteousness everywhere we go. And the evilness of this world will hate us for it. But if your light is dim, if it's hidden under a bush, hidden under a basket, the world's never going to know. Are you being an effective Christian then? If the world hates you because of your righteous living, guess what? You're doing something right. That's a good indication you're on the right track. Now, if the world hates you because you're annoying about your faith, that's, that might be a little different, okay? That might be a little different. But if just your simple lifestyle of doing what is right all the time, not willing to bend, having a high level of integrity, and that annoys the world, good. Good, you're doing the right thing. Well, you know what? Oh, man, I might just land the ship here. I got what? I got up there late, huh? Okay. Let's go then. Joseph was sent out by his father. Was he not? I'll try and keep these brief then. Joseph was sent out by his father. His brothers are off in the fields. They're up at Shechem. Daniel, go ahead and put the next slide up. Dan, his brothers are off in Shechem. And Joseph says what to his son? Hey, go find out what your brothers are doing. Bring them back a report from me. He sent him off. Did Joseph argue with his father? Nope. What does he say? Oh, I'm not even going to write checks anymore. What did Joseph's response say? Come, I'm going to send you to your brothers. Very well, he replied. Okay, Dad, whatever you say. And he takes off on his way to Shechem immediately. Now, we can clearly make a description uh, uh, parallel to that with Jesus, right? God the Father said what? Whom will I send? Who will go for, more, for me? And Jesus says, I will go. He heed the calling. At any point in time, do we ever hear about Jesus saying to the Father, well, maybe we should come up with another plan. Is there anyone else we could send? I don't really want to go. Is there ever a debate between Jesus and the Father about coming up with a separate you know, alternative plan? No. Does he ever in anything hint that he disagrees with the Father's plan? Nope. I have come to do the Father's will. Forty times that's mentioned in the New Testament. I have come to do the Father's will. I have come to do whatever the Father... I, without Him, I can do nothing. All right? I do nothing outside my Father's will. Joseph clearly did what his father told him to do. When he was going up to 
Shechem. Do you think he was excited to go there? Well, do you know the family history in Shechem? See, probably Joseph was, Joseph was probably very young when this happened, but his family used to live in Shechem. So they were down here in Hebron. He traveled to Shechem. Shechem is 50 miles away. That's the entire length of Connecticut. He walked from New Haven to Enfield. That's a good trip. All right. A long walk. He walked all the way there. On his way there, I don't think he was too excited to go there because his family does not have a good history there in that town. His family used to live in Shechem. They moved rapidly out of that town um, because they were not enjoyed anymore around their area. Because what had happened was in previous chapters, when they lived there, their daughter Dinah uh, was visually appealing to the leader of the town. The leader of the town took Dinah into his home and raped her. And then said, Jacob, you're gonna give me your daughter as my you're gonna give me your daughter as my wife. And the family got together when the brothers heard about that and said, No, you're an uncircumcised heathen, you're not taking our daughter away. And they went back and forth, bickering, arguing about this. And they finally came up with a plan. The plan was, hey, well, leader of the Shechem region, if you and all your people get circumcised, okay, you can have Dinah. And you know what they did? Amazingly, every male in the entire area, in that whole village, got circumcised. That's commitment right there. That's commitment. Two of Joseph's sons... Simeon and Levi, on the third day, when all the males were quite sore, on the third day, they went into the town, and the two sons killed out everybody. They killed every male. And after they killed every male, the rest of the sons came over with him, and they plundered the area. They took all the women, all the children, all the jewelry, all the animals, and they left. They stole everything. Do you think that was well taken by all the neighboring folks? Not at all. So they hightailed it out of there and they went south. And the Lord told them, listen, I'm going to make all the people around you so afraid that they won't touch you. And he sends the whole family down south. Well, years later, Jake, Joseph's now got to walk up to this region. I'm sure the people in that area have not forgotten what's going on and what has happened. He is leaving his home of comfort, his home of fellowship. All right, Hebron means fellowship or friend. He's leaving his safe place where he has good relationship with his father. He's enjoying the, the best of everything his family has to offer. And he's leaving it to go to a foreign place where he will probably not be liked because of his family name. And it is a danger to him. But he goes willingly. Jesus Christ did the same thing for us, right? He left heaven. I can't explain to you how awesome that must have been to live there, because I haven't been there yet. I'm hoping to go there one day, knowing I'm going there one day. But I can't explain to you how awesome it must be up there. Jesus Christ left the perfect fellowship that he had with his Father in heaven and the comforts of everything up there to come down to this earth to be very uncomfortable. To a place where when he shared his family name, it was not well appreciated by the locals. That's us. Okay? We did not appreciate his presence. Jesus Christ did the same thing. And lastly, was Joseph 
welcomed when he got there. Not at all. His brothers did not appreciate him showing up. He had to go looking for his brothers, right? He went looking for his brothers because where were his brothers? Were his brothers in Shechem where they were supposed to be? Not at all. His brothers, they wandered off. Were his brothers really good at obeying? His father said, go to Shechem and tend the flocks. And where do they end up? This is a whole different message for herself. They end up in a completely different area. I mean, what, what a picture of the world, right? God gave the world instructions of how to live, where to be, what to do, right? Where did we as people end up? Way off track, right? We're way off track with what God designed us for us to do as a human race. Joseph had to go looking where his brothers didn't belong. When Jesus arrived here on earth, he had to go looking for the lost in places where we didn't belong. Amazingly enough, as the good shepherd, Jesus will not let one soul be lost whom is his own. I love the picture. I never really appreciated this until we went to see the play at Sights and Sounds. The play Jesus. But Jesus at one point, he gets in a boat, travels far across the sea, lands on the other side of the sea. And this is the story of Legion, right? The many demons who were possessed by one man. He gets over there. He heals the man. Did the town appreciate what he did? Hated him so much, they made him leave. He gets back in his boat, travels all the way back home again. He went through a lot of effort, a lot of time for one person. But he was not willing to let that one person be lost. So he made that trip over there. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And we'll leave it at that. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, our Father, we thank you that you have loved us so much that you sent your one and only Son to this world, a place where the people did not appreciate his arrival, they did not appreciate his words, they did not appreciate his family lineage coming from you. They hated him so much that they crucified him and hung him on a cross. But we thank you, Jesus, that you willingly went. You did not argue, did not fight. You did not try to negotiate a different plan. But you willingly went to obey your Father. And in everything you do, you do what the Father's will is. What an amazing example you are. And because of your great obedience, we can now receive salvation. Thank you, Lord, for seeking us out and not allowing us to simply just perish. But you sought us out and you saved us. We thank you for that. We thank you for the example of how Joseph and his story reminds us of our wonderful Savior. In your son's name, we give you thanks. Amen.